I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. Yes, hello. So this week we're going to talk um, about burying two more zombie rules. That's right. Now, our season five episode on this issue was very popular, so we thought we'd get our spades out again. Yeah, so just to <laughs> recap, a zombie rule is grammatical pedantry that's become embedded in wordy folklore, but actually doesn't have a leg to stand on. Yep, I'm liking the imagery, by the way. <laughs> so people can end up getting in a right old knicker knot trying to uphold these so-called rules that they learned decades ago. Now, last time around, we looked at split infinitives and not starting a sentence with a conjunction, and we buried them good and proper, <laughs> because sometimes split infinitives and conjunctions at the beginning of sentences work just fine, yeah. and there is no grat- grammatical argument to support not doing either. That's right. <laughs> so this time, we're going to look at the zombie rules that say double negatives are incorrect, and wait for it, drum roll. Singular they. Oh, Good old singular they. And just so we make this clear right now, both are fine. They're not rules. That's right. Double negatives and singular they are both acceptable variants. Do some people not like them? Certainly. But not liking them doesn't mean they're wrong. Those are two different things. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't have to take our audience into account when we're editing and writing. Not at all. Yeah, we do have to consider it. But writing and editing with an audience in mind is not the same as abiding by a rule that isn't a rule. (laughs) It's about making an informed decision about style. So let's start with double negatives. Are you going to sing for me? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Am I? (laughs) Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, well, I would have, but you failed to verbally indicate the parentheses around I can't get no, so I'm going to have to decline. (laughs) (laughs) You lyrical pedant, you. (laughs) Yeah, aren't I just? But you're right. That's a perfect example. And I could add in the Glaswegian double positive that means a negative. I write. (laughs) (laughs) So is that said with an eye roll or just straight? Because I get it with the eye roll, but with the... Without it, I, I might think someone's agreeing with me. I'm sure you've said I write to me before. That's it, Cal. We're done. I'm out on my own. I write. Oh, my God. So is it done with an eye roll? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all about the tone, really, isn't it? I mean, if I said to you, I write, right, uh-huh, I write. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. positive. But if you say I write, it's like, there's no way this is happening. <laughs> it's not going there. So, yeah. so certainly when we're recording and I can't see you, I need to listen out for your voice being laced with sarcasm or boredom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. So the double negative is an accepted variant and it's great when we want to do the following. Recreate natural sounding narrative and dialogue. And add emphasis and emotionality in nonfiction. So you do the fiction bit. Okay, so a story might have characters or narrators using double negatives and by allowing these strong regionally distinct voices to use natural constructions, we're actually shortening the psychic distance between the reader and the narrator or character and helping the reader to really hear that voice. So for example, I ain't done nothing or my granddad wouldn't shout at nobody. Um, Those are two examples where the artistry lies in the fact that the double negative adds wallop to the prose. We get two negatives and twice as much impact. Compare those phrases with, 
I haven't done anything or my granddad wouldn't shout at anyone. They're softer and they're mm. flatter. Mm. And now that's not going to work for every voice because people speak differently. But again, it's a style choice, not a rule. Mm. And there are plenty of examples that people use in everyday speech and that might even find their way into more formal nonfiction writing with a neutral voice. So how about these? It's not unreasonable to expect the governor of the Bank of England to reduce interest rates. Or Italy's third lockdown isn't unexpected, given the rising number of COVID-19 cases in the past three months. And again, the double negative here places stress on the reasonability and the expectedness in those messages, which increases their emotionality. Yeah, and that's important because even formal non-fiction writing can be emotional. And of course, Bart Simpson wrote, I won't not use no double negatives on his blackboard <laughs> at the beginning of one episode of The Simpsons. And as far as I'm concerned, that makes it OK. I write. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. So now let's turn to they as a singular pronoun. Oh, my God. This old chestnut gets a lot of peevers in a pickle. It's a shame because it's a rather splendid solution for those who want to write clearly and succinctly while avoiding gendered language. And it's been in use for a while too, hasn't it? Yeah, from the 14th century. Yes, it's <laughs> not exactly a modern phenomenon then. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny that it was only in 2019 that the American Psychological Association finally accepted the use of the word they as a singular third person pronoun. I know. That was a massive shift in style choice that impacted on how writers and publishers could apply the guidance from one of the most used style manuals in the world. Mm, but you've nailed it there because it was a style choice. It's not a rule. Never a rule. There's, there's a big difference, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, and we, we were chatting about this recently, weren't we? In the blog mm -hmm. they published called Welcome Singular They, the comments absolutely lit up with everything from, from about time too, to a discussion about how the pronoun they erases women, to not using it ever, and to people calling each other dumb and stupid. <laughs> it was incredible. And all because of usage that's over 600 years old. Yeah. Editors, eh? <laughs> we'll stick a link to that blog in the show notes. But think about this. It's the most inclusive pronoun there is. Some individuals choose it as their own preferred pronoun. However, editors and writers will sometimes be bound by a house style. And then we're back to likes and dislikes here. Yeah, so we might not like an organisation style choices, but if we're working for them or want to publish with them, we might well have to suck it up or take our business elsewhere. Yeah, we live in a part of the world where people have freedom of choice and some of those choices can be unpalatable, but people are free to make them. So if you don't like singular they, but your client does, or you do like it, but your client doesn't, have a conversation by all means. But be prepared to make an informed choice not to work with them if you can't reach a decision you're comfortable with. And there's something else that we want to talk about here, and that's representation and identity. And if you're an editor or writer who objects to the term, consider the issue from a conscious language viewpoint. Yeah, so given that there's no grammatical reason to reject it, and given that words and how they're used have the power to enlighten or harm and everything else in between, Think about how it might be one tiny way in which we as editors can lift prose into a position where it's people-centred rather than gender-centred. 
Yeah, I think there's an issue here about the editor's viewpoint that we need to be open about. Because even if you don't like it, as a professional editor, we'd argue that you're bound to put your stickling to one side and think bigger. Mm, yeah. I think we have to remove ourselves from the equation to a degree. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Editing mm. isn't about us. It's about the text, the client and the readers and whether the messaging is clear and relevant and representational. What we like isn't relevant. We should always be framing our decisions in those terms. Yeah, there will be occasions where gendered language is appropriate. So when a person's identity is known and falls within the traditional binary, either in fiction or nonfiction. However, if in educational, business and academic writing, for example, the author has defaulted to he or she, when there's a standard pronoun available that makes no assumptions, we recommend singular they. Mm. And absolutely not editing it out unless you've been told to do so. And a lot of style guides are being updated, so there's increasing support for this approach. And if you're an editor or writer who thinks, like we do, that singular they is a great solution, shout it out, write about it, defend it, promote it. The worst someone can accuse you of is being old-fashioned, given how long the usage has been around for. <laughs> <laughs> you old fuddy-duddy, singular they, that's so 600 years ago. Aye, <laughs> <I> right. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yes, thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. She's been Louise. And she's been Denise. Join us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.